Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and the gentleman next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to Friday's Indie Game Business. Today, we have, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally slaughter this, Ahmad al say. <laughs> is that how you say it? Close enough. It's Ahmad, Ahmad al Nachi. yes. Okay. Yeah. That's way better than the way I said it. And we <laughs> are talking about some game development stuff. Imagine that. I think I can. I have a better time with, with the Middle Eastern names than I do with the Spanish names, where I have to roll the R's because I can't ever do that. Yeah, so Roberto. Different opinion when you try some letters in the Arabic language. <laughs> I, for what it's worth, I, I think the written form, the the written arabic language is like the most beautiful language ever it just looks really really cool and that could be like my tolkien elven script coming out because that's what it always reminds me of yeah exactly i think it's so cool um so i mean yeah welcome and you are coming to us live from united arab emirates over in the middle east correct yes it's it's Basically, like the country is called the United Arab Emirates, but for some reason, people know it as Dubai only. All right, see that? I just learned something. I thought Dubai was completely different than UAE, but Dubai it's is a Dubai. part of UAE. It's a city in the United Arab Emirates, yes. With really tall towers. Yes, yes that's, that's quite correct. <laughs> it's, it's where Tiger Woods goes to hit, hit golf balls off the top of that giant <laughs> sailboat hotel. Yes. Yeah, they will go all around the city to do that, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, tell us, we always start the same place. Tell us how you got into the industry, into games in the first place, and walk us through your career up to this point. Oh, the, I'll, I'll try to summarize because it's a long story, but uh, uh, I started out as a musician in my university days. I, used, uh, I was studying to be a civil engineer. Uh, skip a few years, I graduated, gave it a shot with being a full-time musician, didn't really work, went into civil engineering. I immediately knew that something's not right, that's not what I want to do, because it, it includes sitting in the sun for 12 hours a day, that sort of civil engineering, not the, not the nice office, cushiony type of uh, engineering. And uh, I just needed a way out of it. And one of my friends recommended something called Unreal Engine. I think you guys have heard of it. <laughs> uh, and uh, I downloaded it and just just like that, it clicked. So what I did is through my four, four years of being a civil engineer, I continued learning Unreal Engine with all its aspects until the end of 2019 is where I made the official jump. I quit my job as an engineer and opened my own studio. It's called Khusuf Studio here in Dubai. So and so, what do you focus on now? So, what do you do with this? What what kind of games does the studio put out? Uh, it's it's basically you can say it's two branches. That's how I I put it. Uh, the first branch is where I try my best to like get by and get any sort of clients that are locally based, and I create virtual reality experiences for them. Like for example, there was the Dubai Shopping Festival, where like uh, where it happens in the malls, and they said we need a VR game to attract 
what's it called? Like customers. So I created a VR game for them where you like catch the shopping bags and get tokens and get coupons and stuff like that. And the other branch is where my game development journey started with a game called Shadow Dreams. I've been working on it for about four and a half years now. And uh, it's scheduled to be released by the end of the year, hopefully. So that, that's right now where I'm focusing mainly. Is It's a first-person shooter game that's basically a mix between Doom and Dark Souls. That's the best way to summarize the gameplay. And it, it focuses on psychological issues and dealing with them in a very visual manner. That's, that's the game that I'm currently heavily invested in. That's very cool. So are you, we'll get into all the business stuff, you know, just first. Well, I, so I just want to make a quick note. I like the way he explained it. We were just talking about that right there. He's like, it's a mix between Doom and Dark Souls. That is it. Remember, we were just talking about the uh, pitching your game just like just a couple days ago. And that and, was exactly and have, it. It's absolutely crystal clear what it is. And, and so that's why. You got caught immediately, yeah. <laughs> Right, and then it's like, and then if you want to go into further details, you know, but you know, you, it, Doom and Dark Souls, bam, it grasps on your head. Oh, okay, well, let's check it out. You know, I'm happy about that. Great. So, are you are you planning to self publish it, or are you going to look for a publisher? I believe I'm going to go with a self publish thing. Honestly speaking, it, maybe it's due to my lack of experience, but and my lack of trust in people. Honestly speaking, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this whole journey has been like a bathe your own bath type of thing. And I think I'm going to continue it for this game. So it, that, that's that's interesting because generally your lack of trust in people in the industry doesn't kick in until like your eighth, ninth, tenth year in games. So you're, you're just an early learner in some ways. But let's talk about that for a second. So why, what are the the trust issues in particular that you have with publishers. And I'm not like going to push you either way. I'm just very curious. Yeah, I completely understand. Honestly speaking, it could come from my lack of knowledge as well. I admit that because my interactions with publishers are very limited. Like I tried to contact them. They hardly get back to me. One guy responded with like a ridiculous offer of them getting 70% of their profit. And I'm like, it, I started to shut down in the process. And I'm like, cause I'll do it myself. Like, screw this, because I'm wasting so much time, time to reach out and find the right publisher and that type of stuff, while I could be focusing on the development and marketing it on my own. Yeah, and that's actually why I have a job. It's because people want to do that, and they still need publishers, and so that's when they come to us. Um, the so yeah, that's part of that's part of the industry. And we had, I mean, it's it's not just you. We sent out a project you know, last week from one of our clients and the publisher responded with a flat rev share deal, no money up front. Now the, the client doesn't need development funding to finish the game. So it's not like yeah. you know, we were asking for a bunch of money or anything, but we do always want to see a minimum guarantee. It shows a vested interest from the publisher. Exactly. You know, my point. You want to see them like at least get invested, do something like just, just throw me a bone, man. <laughs> Well, I mean, this particular publisher came back and said, oh, well, good luck getting a minimum guarantee because nobody does those these days. And I'm like, uh, yeah, we, we deal 700 publishers. They <laughs> do minimum guarantees. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that when, when we're told that, it's like, okay, we just drop that publisher down to, you know, third tier options for our titles because it's – 
I think a lot of public, like just like developers can get very tunnel vision in the case of like, here are the 15 publishers I want to go to. I think publishers can do the very same thing. It's like, okay, yeah. so last year we signed three titles and didn't need to pay a minimum guarantee on it. So maybe nobody's doing it and we don't have to do it at all anymore. And it's not, that's not reality. You know, it, yeah. it, it's one of those that, yes, I mean, you do. We had a publisher last year tell us, well, it concerns us when a developer asks for a minimum guarantee because that <laughs> shows that they don't have any faith in the title. And I'm like, they, okay, so it concerns them when the developer wants to eat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, so the developer's been building this on their own dime for two years with no money coming in, but you're concerned they don't believe in the project. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> third tier. There you go. And, you know, when I say third tier, it's it's the way that we look at, you know, publishing options for any developer. It's like, okay, here's the first tier, the one, you know, the best publishers, the ones you want to go to, the ones that you think are going to be passionate about it, the ones you're going to get the best deal from. And then the second tier would be, of course, one step down. And then third tier are, you know, a, a large swath of publishers yeah. where, you know, they don't want to pay a minimum guarantee. They don't want to pay, you know, anything. They just want to go out and grab titles on a rev share basis and do minimal amounts of marketing for them and, and go from there. And it's just, you know, a lot of developers don't realize there's a lot more options out there than just that. And so, yeah, I completely, I completely feel your pain. See, that's so, the scary part. Definitely, you have so much more experience than me. And well, <laughs> hearing it from you actually makes me like, okay, so maybe I am sort of right when it comes to these sketchy publishers, but I'm sure there's a good side to things. But my, yeah, well, my concern, I mean, it's, it's just like my, my concern is that I'm, I'm too small to be noticed by these big publishers. That's the issue. So that's why I just cut it short. I'm like, I'll self publish. Okay. All right. See, this is great. And this, and this is the way the show always goes. You know, we're going to dive into stuff that we weren't even completely planning on diving into. So, how many publishers have you talked to? How many publishers in, in your mind have you said, okay, these are the ones that I want to go to. This is my list. I made a list of about 25. I reached out to all of them through the emails. Five answered. Four didn't really connect further than one email. And one answered with a very ridiculous general offer. <laughs> all right. So... <laughs> That so you can definitely say that I didn't really go into it way too far. I just, uh, I, I threw the, what do they call it, the towel or the flag, whatever it is, early on in the process. So, and, and 20 to 25 is usually the range that we see developers go to. And the funny thing is, your, re, your rates on this, in terms of the number that got back to you, are, are nearly exactly in line with what we always say. So, you know, what we've learned in, in 20 years of doing this is 30 to 35% of the publishers are going to respond to you. So you're a little low on that, but at the same time, you got a VR title and those are a little harder anyway, but that is completely normal. But I mean, having yeah. said that, you probably touched on the maybe a quarter of the publishers that you could go to. That's covering like all three tiers. I do agree. It's definitely there's an issue on my part as well. I agree with that 100%. So, but it's but it's interesting because, yeah, you're the number of responses and stuff that you got are 
pretty much right in line with with what we always see. Well, that's know, that, <laughs> that thirty to thirty-five range. So, how are let's 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 get into the the region before we get more into the specifics of of self-publishing in VR. Talk a, a little bit about the region in general, what people are playing, what types of games, you know, sell well. And let's start with an overview of, and, and we can do like the entire Middle East or, you know, UA, I keep wanting to say UAW, but that's the auto worker union, <laughs> the <laughs> UAE. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking from, of the double, <laughs> they can't. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure of the country that I'm in. So speaking of the UAE, uh, I would say that the audience is pretty mature. Like there, there's a lot of people I noticed that they are absolutely in love with the game. Like for example, Dark Souls is very popular. Doom is very popular. Uh, what's it called? The younger generation obviously is way all over Fortnite. So you can say like it's not, a, it's not very different from the general public out there. It's, it's the same categories that fall in within the same range. So are they primarily playing on mobile or PC console? The consoles are very dominant here, especially the PlayStation. That's interesting because I would have thought it would lean more towards mobile, but that's actually, that's really but interesting. There's a lot of people who play mobile, but the like the PlayStation gamers are a lot. There is many, like, I'm not sure about the number. But uh, as far as I know, there's a lot of uh, console players here. Very cool. So on yours, are, are you looking at PSVR or are you just doing, you know, Oculus, Vive, PC? Oh, the game is not VR. Oh, I thought it was VR. Okay. Because of the hands. I know a lot of people like think that this is going to be VR, even though it could, could be a cool idea. But no, it's actually like a console, like shooter game. Oh, excellent then, because that was my concern. I was like, you know, it, it is hard. I mean, we have, we're seeing more interest in VR games than we have in a while, but it's still very, very tough. So, okay, yeah. cool. All right. So now, now I'm on the same page here. So I'm actually working with a client here for, a, on a VR game. Uh, but th th that game takes a different direction from the shooter aspect. It's more of a mystery horror sort of game. So that one is in the works right now as well. It's called Bloodhound. Okay. So what is your, what's the strategy? How are you looking into going in and self-publishing? Uh, well, I started the process a long time ago, like years ago. And uh, I already got the approval from Microsoft. So that's in the bag. They send me the dev kits and everything. So um, you can say it's an, inshallah, it's 100% on the Xbox. It's going to be launched. I got everything set up. The PlayStation, thankfully, a couple of months ago, my studio became an official partner with them. So I'll be getting the dev kit soon. So I got that part down. Uh, Steam page is up and running. Epic Stores is on the way. So the way I'm looking at it, I'm just going to publish it on all the stores. And a couple of months before the release, I'm going to start a couple of campaigns, contact YouTubers, uh, people who play it, do promotional stuff, alpha, whatever it is, and then do the big release. So piece of advice. Start yep. the marketing now. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, because it is, and the other concern, 
And, you know, I still, given COVID and everything right now, I, I, I still waffle on this a little bit, but November and December are traditionally horrible times to launch indie titles and to self-publish anything because so much of the influencer marketing and traditional marketing is completely overwhelmed with all the AAA releases, Call of Duty, you know, 100%, yes, yes. Whatever else is coming out. I haven't even looked to see what is actually planned for. And on top of that, you're going to have two console releases. So new consoles, yes. That will be invisible, which is why I'm going to be pushing the release date, most likely. Okay. that It is. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's sensible because you don't want to get out there. I mean, marketing indie games is hard enough on its own normally. Yeah. But getting people to listen during November and December, is, it's just sometimes like next to impossible. Yeah, like with all the released titles, the new technology, everything like that, I'll be just like an ant compared to an elephant. So I completely agree with you. And honestly speaking, I need a little bit more time to polish the game. So it's not like I'm going to be sitting on it. So push it a couple of months. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, yeah. You know, there, there's that always that quote that, you know, a, a good game or what a game is, it can be eventually good, but a early released game is, I don't know, I, I butcher it every time I do it, but it's from uh, Shigeru Miyamoto talking about, it's okay <laughs> to push it out a little bit. You know, that's absolutely fine. You know, so in in terms of, you know, like studio, like how big is your studio? How many folks are working on the project? Uh, just me. It's just you. Okay, but, sorry. Yeah, you it's out a, there it's for a studio like, oh. with a trade license, with the office and everything. But uh, yeah, it's just me going there and working. That's impressive. So you're doing all the all the art, all the code, all that kind of stuff. Yes, I do use the asset store whenever I can to like whatever it fits, as long as it fits the theme and that sort of general use. You can say like my main rule when it comes to using assets is don't reinvent the wheel. You know, if like if it's made before you, if it looks good, like a really nice bushy tree, I don't need to make it from scratch. I just use it, make sure it fits the theme, and go with it. When it comes to assets and three D models, and uh, when it comes to game design, coding, and that type of stuff, yeah, that's done completely by me. So how how big is the development community in in UAE in general? I mean, is there a big indie? indie ecosystem or is it you know just studios here and there or how big is it uh to put it in perspective uh, honestly speaking i think i might be the only like console and like i wouldn't say like triple a because i'm far from triple a but the, I would be one of the very few studios that actually make console games or BC games, things that are not mobile and light, something like, you know, heavy. So the, the studios are literally, you can count them on one hand. Wow. Is that it? And that's like and all three of them make mobile games. See, and, and that's why, you know, we've talked to folks before, and that's why I was thinking, you know, you might be the, the predominant gaming platform was mobile because the studios that we talk to, they all do mobile. But they do mobile not because there's a lot of players. There is a lot of players. They do mobile because, as you know, lower development cost, uh, lower uh, time, 
less experience is fine. You can say, I don't mean to trash, trash speak about them or anything. That's not what I mean. But doing mobile games has become, became a trend of like a cash cow sort of model where you create the game, you release it. Create the game, you release it. And look for the revenue to come in. It's 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 more valid business idea than a full-on studio that makes actual big games. Which so is why the direction is there, I believe. So why do you think the development community, you know, it's so small in general, but even on the console PC side, it, it's as small as it is. Oh, it costs a lot in, to create a, like an actual legit full-size PC game. And people are just like companies and entrepreneurs are generally scared of going into a field that almost nobody knows about. So it's, it's a matter of like you haven't seen and imagine this like you haven't seen anyone fully succeed before you in the region so you're like just like sh should i try it out should i bet on it on myself without actually having someone who did it before me i think these questions these questions actually occurred to me that's why i'm mentioning them so i, I believe these are the reasons it's like higher cost more development time and more risk Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. I mean, but that's true with a lot of different industries, you know, but I can understand where I guess, you know, there, there is, there are more people doing it you know, globally and in other areas. But I mean, we've talked to studios from Iran and, you know, Saudi Arabia and different places in the Middle East. And one of the things that we've heard is, is along those lines is, you know, there's no one here locally that they can, that studios can learn from, that they can look to as, you know, a, a mentor, so to speak, in the area. Yeah. The lack of someone who holds the torch, you know, like someone to look in the distance, like, yes, that guy made it. Just follow his path and we might make it as well. You know, that's a bit missing. You can't, you don't have experienced developers here who have like, you guys, I believe like 10, 15 years in the industry, because the industry here is just basically an infant. So has the, all right, so, so first question, are you all still on lockdown from COVID or is thing, are things kind of opening up again? No, no, things are pretty open here. Like the malls okay. are open, the swimming pools, and there's no uh, quarantine. You just go wherever you want. That that must be nice. Uh, <laughs> they locked out my office for a month and a half, man. I was going psycho. <laughs> I'm like, I'm paying the effing rent. Let me in. <laughs> I, obviously, you had a government that took this seriously. Um, <laughs> we didn't. So has... The aspect of, I mean, even like during lockdown, obviously we're seeing a lot more stuff go digital. And 
I believe the Dubai conference was a few weeks ago, but I don't know if they went digital or if they did. You know. Yeah, I was a speaker in it actually. Is the DG they called GD, DGC? Yeah, yeah, Dubai Gaming Conference. Yeah. So was that virtual? That was or did they all hold that in in person. No, show? it was fully fully digital. Like they they streamed the whole thing for so, three days. Do you think with the growth of you know digital events and a lot of the lectures online and things like that, it's going to help support that that new indie development market or is it one of those that you just you're really going to need that that team that's on the ground you know showing success speaking from my own opinion i truly believe like developers need someone who actually made it before they just get more courage into it you know they actually like i i teach game design in a university here that teaches game development for a bachelor's degree that's also very new and it's like the students are all fired up, but they just need like someone who made it. I heard that complaint from a couple of them saying like, where are the studios here? Where can we get hired in the first place? And they get discouraged from that aspect. So you can imagine that it leaks out to many branches when the thought process of becoming an indie developer. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear that. And, and I see that in a lot of areas the reason we do this show is to try to kind of knock some of that down and and show that you know it's it's like we said you know last year when we were seeing so many layoffs and things like that it's like i can't no matter what i do i can't keep activision and ea from shipping a product and launching you know losing 600 jobs you know there's absolutely nothing i can do about that but i can give those people, those 600 people that got laid off, I can absolutely give them the tools that they need, you know, to succeed, you know, to, to yeah. do their own stuff, to self-publish, to, you know, find a publisher that's going to, you know, take the game and take it seriously. Um, so it's always, I'm always interested to, to hear, you know, what the challenges are and, and what the speed bumps are in the process. I mean, are, Aside from that, you know, role model studio, we can call it, you know, what are some of the other issues, some of the other hurdles that, that you face that may be just like other indie devs around the world or maybe, you know, completely pertinent to, to your region? Uh, you just said something. 600 people got laid off, for example, and those 600 people still live in that country as part of a previous studio. They, they have game development experience. Here, there are zero people who got fired from the game development industry because there is no game development industry in the first place. So the, the lack of experience people is, is, is a huge factor. The lack of someone to ask, the lack of someone to look up to, like there, there is absolutely no one for me to say like, hey, uh, you worked in that studio. Can, can I come to visit? Can I see how you guys do things? How did you guys, what was your workflow? These questions, remain unanswered and you know like these things are when it, when it comes to face-to-face -face interactions it's much easier to ask these things that that are in the gray line of confidentiality and like you shouldn't you shouldn't speak about it at all so when you're face to face with someone who worked at like ubisoft you say like hey how was the studio how do you guys do do things and he might be able to answer you because you're like in, a, in the friendly 
phase. But when you speak online, am I going to send you an email after you got fired from Ubisoft? I'm like, hey guys, how how, how was the development process there? What 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 was what programs did you use? Nobody's going to answer you. So that's the obstacle that I believe people face here when it comes to the lack of experience. All right. So and, and our friend Hatoshi down in Peru. He says he feels you because it's the same way in Peru. There's there's very few studios. And this is what we see a lot. So these are exactly the walls we're trying to knock down here. So yeah. for other folks that are listening now, and if you are out there, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever, Twitter, wherever else we are, where are we? who did I forget? YouTube. If you've got a question for Ahmad or a question in general, toss it in chat. Our super fancy StreamYard software is going to show it to us no matter where you're from and, and we'll get it answered live. So, you know, for the folks that are listening now who are in the same situation that you are, walk us through your pipeline. So what do you use? I mean, obviously Unreal, but what other tools are you using in development? Not only because you don't, like you said, there's not that role model studio, but two, I mean, you're doing completely solo dev. So, so what do you do? What do you use? Well, that's why it took me four years to make the jump from a civil engineer all the way to a full-time game developer. Because what I was working on is the game, Shadow Dreams, yeah. But my main concept from the first day is that I wanted to automize everything. I want to create the perfect workflow from idea to modeling, animation, voiceover, whatever it is, until it gets into the game. So I, a part of that workflow is I searched and used tons of programs until I found like the perfect fit for me. And I learned it, integrated into the workflow. And that's how I'm able to create things as a one-man team, create things faster, create things better. So uh, the programs that, I've, that I'm using right now, you can say, I can't remember all of them, even though I spend hours on them. But uh, there's, for example, like ZBrush is essential, Blender, uh, Cubase for audio recording. I use the, there's a really good uh, bunch of softwares from uh, Real Illusion, uh, Character Creator 3, along with iClone, uh, Live Face for the facial mocap. I, I got a motion capture suit recently as well, by the way. It's pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> what more softwares? There, there's a bunch. I don't know. There, there's a lot. But basically, the whole concept is to create a workflow from start to finish with these multiple softwares, learning them, and that's how you come up with the final product. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say you have a motion capture studio? Is that like your own, or do you have access to one? No, no. I, I, I got a motion capture suit. Oh, suit. I thought you said studio. And I'm like, you just have No, like no, no. I'm not that rich man. Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit, you're doing solo development, but you have your own. Okay. So, yeah, and, and here we are again. And, and Marco, same way for him. You know, he's in the Azores and there's no other company. And so, yeah, you know, keep rocking it, man. So, it is no matter where you are in the world, there is somebody else who's going through the same thing it may be like slightly different here and there but at the end of the oh, day definitely yeah yeah 100 that's why all that's that's why i love doing these things it's like it's like you're not alone there are you know other <laughs> you might be alone in, in your town but you're not alone on like the global the big scale uh 
Yeah, there's, there's always someone who's going through almost the same struggle. Like, re also speaking, recently I posted some stuff on Reddit uh, of the game, the trailer, and that stuff. And uh, people were asking, like, who are you? What do you do? And all these things. I'm still like, yeah, I was an engineer. I quit, blah, blah, blah. And a couple of people commented the same thing. Like, yes, I used to be an architect. And I quit. And I started becoming a game developer. And it's so odd how we all went through the same, like, journey without even knowing it. And, and that's why I always love it at the very beginning. Like, how did you get in here? Now, let's mention the other part of you being a civil engineer that you and Andy were talking about, you know, just before we went live. Uh, not only were you outside, it's 125 degrees Fahrenheit over there right now. It is summer. So, yeah. Like, it, when it's it springtime, so it goes a few degrees down. <laughs> <laughs> like, that explains so, it, you know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Well, it is summer. Uh, Andy, if you're talking, I think you're muted, dude. I was talking. Um, 50 Celsius, so it's 122 Fahrenheit. No, I he was talking about how, how stoplights were melting a while ago. That's crazy. Make them out of metal. <laughs> it, it is made of aluminum, but maybe like I don't know what they put in it, man. That is crazy. Like the hottest it gets here is is eighty five, <laughs> and, and if it's if it gets that hot, we're walking around going, "Oh my god!" This we is we get about one hundred and fifteen sometimes. See, this is why this is why I live in the mountains now. You can do it. Like, and the part of being a civil engineer previously is that I was a site engineer, so my work is in the site. It's not in an office. So you just like after a couple of hours in the heat, you, like you just go numb, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're all like full of sweat, like pretty hot as human. You want to die, but I'm like, okay. <laughs> See, Tony can, you know, attest to this because when I was down in Peru, I mean, it wasn't even 100, it was probably like an 80s or 90s. I was down there in September or October, and there were a lot of folks because it was a Latin American conference. There were folks from the Caribbean and, and all over, and because it was. 70s 80s I, I believe was was the temperature they were walking around in like legitimate coats and scarves and i'm just sitting there going just just i mean <laughs> joking with them but i am like dying laughing and i but you know i said all right y'all just wait when i get up there tomorrow to do my lecture and i'm in a suit i'm gonna be sweating because i can't you know <laughs> if it gets into like the 80s and 90s you know i automatically you start sweating because I'm not acclimated to it. Anymore. I agree with you, but I hate the heat. I absolutely hate it, and I'm bored with you. So, trust me, we're on the same page. But I don't know. Like, just just coming coming back to the subject. Like, even though like the the heat and all these aspects are like completely disastrous, I absolutely love being here as a game developer because it's just there's there's a very large spotlight on you if you create something noticeable you can say and that's what i like about it like if, if i get the opportunity to start my company let's say in the in the states i might just decline it and continue being here because the market here when it comes to non-mobile development it's still not flooded there's more chance for you to actually make something out of yourself and that's why i chose this location and i'm deciding to stick to it so how does it given that we deal with a global economy now how elaborate more on on that that spotlight and and how you can make something for yourself on a regional basis you know are, are you 
are, are there different options open to you on the sales side? Are there like government grants or anything, or is it more along the lines of, you know, being that first breakout console developer, you know, in, in UAE? It's actually a mixture between a number of things, like the things you said. Uh, so it's a mix between all of them, kind of. Like you get more attention towards your work from, let's say, the media. If you reach out to them, they might answer you. So that's not bad. Even though it's a very young, uh, what's it called, career right here, being a game developer, the game development industry is very young. The government recently have been shining a bit of a spotlight on the developers. Uh, in recent events, they made a, like a developer corner, which is usually like doesn't happen. So they're starting to wake up toward that process. And I was just speaking to a company called 2454 in Abu Dhabi, which is also part of the government. Abu Dhabi is the capital of the UAE. And they're starting uh, a gaming hub, actually, in there. They want to bring game development companies and put them in one place and turn that into like the gaming hub of the UAE and hopefully the region. So there, there's more attention towards these things, you see. Well, I mean, because it's getting to be, and I think that's where the pandemic, even on a global level, helped the industry. More people started playing games, you know. And, exactly and so, my point. Yes, yes. I was just talking about it today, is that that move might not have happened if the pandemic didn't actually hit and the government and the businesses started to look into something more digital. And what's more digital than a video game? Yeah. <laughs> The uh, so I mean, what's the esports you know scene like? Oh, that's, that's the esports scene is still also pretty young, but there is quite some movement. Like, there's a number of teams, like legit teams, like go to tournaments and do that type of stuff. I'm not very caught up with it, but I I see that they're active, so that's good. They they did they did one event a couple of months ago called the Girl Gamer. Where like it was a tournament for esports only for uh, for girls, for example. Like that's also very new. That's nice. That is cool. That's actually really cool. I mean, you don't you don't see that a lot around. And in, in terms of normalizing everything, because even though I mean, what the industry here in the states is 30, 40 years old. I've been doing this for half that time, and sure. you still have that huge stigma of games are for 18 to 24 year old men boys it, 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 yes, it's not yes. you, we're, we're constantly trying to you know let people know that it's not it's it's really not if, if you look at the whole market that's a small fraction the majority of gamers now are over the age of 35 and they're playing on their phones they're not even playing call of duty and, and <laughs> you know the console yeah 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 i and agree so, yeah the yesterday, I, my wife and I were talking. I'm flipping through the, the news, and there's you know debate on where Ewok is going to land now that she's not under Mixer anymore. And I, and I told you know my wife, I said if I, if anybody gets a big old fat contract out of this, I hope it's her because she is doing fantastic stuff, just normalizing. The fact not only for women gamers but for gamers with disabilities because she's completely deaf and she's like ranked oh, as that's... the eighth best fortnite player in the world 
and it's like I, I actually haven't heard of her before, but that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, she she's a part of Phase. Um, so yeah, look up it, it's it's Ewok, but yeah, it's it's she, she's a member of, of the Phase team. Uh, but it is it's that's where it completely makes sense on you know the Middle East needs this breakout studio to be successful because we see the very same thing in a lot of other underrepresented groups in the industry, you know, globally. It's like they, you need that champion to put forth and say, Hey, look, we did it. You can do it. This is how you do it type thing. Yeah. 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 I agree. Honestly speaking, that's one of the major things that's missing and it would be pretty awesome if someone can actually do it. Well, it can be you. Well, I mean, not not on the the girl gamer well, side. <laughs> well, hopefully, man. Hopefully, like uh, that, that's that's the dream. But uh, we'll see where it takes us. So, where do you want to be? You know, two years from now, and, and what are the things that you feel that you need to do on a personal and business level to get there? Uh, I just I just really want this game to be a success, man. I've been working on it for about four years now, coming into the fifth. And it's I put a lot of thought into it, and I just I just really want to make it. I, I'm not even thinking a year ahead or like two years ahead. I'm just looking at the launch of the game, and I want it to be a success. And so, have you got a a Discord server set up yet? Oh wait, did we lose him? I think we lost him. Yeah, he got frozen. Look at ah. It's a great screen grab, though. Yeah, you know. We right. could all we'll, just make faces like that. We'll give him a second. Yeah. Pop up. So what's up in your world, Andy? Um. Well, I am supposedly taking off this afternoon on a little trip. There he Where is. Where you headed? Um, up north, and. Uh, it's like a motorcycle camping type deal. So we go someplace and then camp. And then the next day we go somewhere else and camp and do that for seven days. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it for seven days. Let's see if I can add him here. <clears throat> so do you have like one of those little no. things you pull behind your motorcycle? A trailer? <laughs> a trailer? No, yes. I don't have a trailer. Am I, I do have a tour pack and, uh, I do have a tour pack and saddlebags, so. though. We just switched up to talk about Indy's vacation, you know, this week. No, no worries there. Oh, cool. <laughs> we, we knew we would get you back. I, I, was there. I didn't go away. I'm not sure what's going to issue. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be doing it in 122 degrees, though. Yeah, no shit. It's going to be hot enough no, in, those in the 90s. Are crazy, Indy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so funny seeing people survive, and here it's like casual, man. Well, that's the way it is here. It's like, you know, in the winter, we get we, the wind comes across the top of the mountain at, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour, like all day long. And we'll get in the negative teens for, for wind chill. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, it, it's just really damn cold outside. That's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, we don't see snow, and our winter is a maximum of 77. I think that's, that's the minimum. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.